0: Hi James Ben
1: how are you <laughs> frazzled <laughs> yeah I, to be honest uh, based on what I've been seeing on
0: Twitter I'm not entirely surprised <laughs> it's been quite the week it has been quite the week which we will we will get to in, in just a moment but first we are excited to have wordpress.com as our sponsor whether you'd like to build a personal blog a business site or both creating your website on wordpress.com helps others find you remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side to get your site up and running. Their customer support team is made up of WordPress experts eager to help you get the most from your site, and they're available to help 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday, and weekends. Plans start at just $4 a month, and all plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. So go to WordPress.com slash exponent to get 15% off your website today. That's WordPress.com slash exponent and uh, hopefully, you know the ISPs won't be charging WordPress yeah. to to visit that site. <laughs> I was going to make a comment about how wonderful it is to have a sponsor that's
1: enabling a free and open internet, but that also <laughs> works too. I, I preempted.
0: I preempted <laughs> your joke. I made your joke before the fact. Uh-huh. That yeah, that's right. Suck the, suck the the wind right out of my sails. So we're we're going to approach this a little bit a different different way today. So the uh, I I wrote an article basically generally in support of the FCC's decision to undo the FCC's reclassification of ISPs to Title II uh, communications provi- – or telecommunications providers uh, and back to Title I information services providers, which has the effect of undoing the net neutrality laws that were – or net neutrality regulations, I should say, that were passed by the Obama-era FCC and – uh a lot of people disagree which is fine which is totally fine and and you specifically disagree so we're mm. just getting there right, right up there uh, usually we would kind of go back and forth and state our positions but in this case we want to put the positions kind of out there right away and then what we're going to do is kind of walk through the case for for the position that, that i stated and then kind of we're going to kind of tear that case apart if that makes sense
1: yeah. And I, somewhere along the way, I think there's a broader conversation that needs to happen around, um, the, how systems end up getting designed in the United States, uh, which I think this is a, a really good example of how it's not always optimal, but we'll see how we go. Not always. I would hardly ever. Yeah, hardly. Yeah, I'm. I'm a foreigner here still, so I. I was being diplomatic.
0: Well, you you know, as long as we're making meta points, I think there's a meta point to what I just put forward as far as how we're going to organize this podcast. Mm. One thing that I find very helpful for me personally is whenever I'm going to stake out a position on anything, Mm. I want to be really clear that I can fully articulate both sides. And and so I hope if anything comes out of this entire discussion this week, whether it be on Shetekery or or, or on, on on the Twitters as it were, or or wherever it may be, or through this podcast, that everyone comes away from this feeling they can understand both sides of the issue, because you know to to reduce. The other side, whichever side you're on, to reduce the other side to just being, you know, acting with malice or paid stooges mm. may sometimes be true, but it's not necessarily always true. And if you think that's true, it's easier to make that case if you can understand and dismiss the the at least theoretically logical and rational reasons to have that position it's so it's it's such a
1: good point and it's so easy to drop into demonizing the other side or not understanding it and to, to make another meta point i feel like this is one of the ways in which we've evolved as we've gone 130 episodes in which is i think if we'd had this discussion a couple of years ago that's exactly what we would have dropped into. It's like, you're wrong and here are all the reasons why. And then it'd be like, No, you're wrong and here are all the reasons why. And one of the things I've come to appreciate is actually listening and seeing it from your perspective, even when we disagree, and it 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 um it broadens my mind. And like I, I'm I'm much more open to being wrong and I feel like it makes my arguments stronger when I do make them. So
0: I'm excited to take this approach. Cool. So I, I gave that sort of long-winded explanation of what the topic is because it's actually much more accurate than the topic is generally framed as. The topic is framed as net neutrality. Are you for or against? Mm-hmm. And and if you start there, you're, the conversation is already over. Because who is against, who is against neutrality? Like, who wants data treated differently based (laughs) on the content of the data? I I certainly don't. And perhaps some people, perhaps some people do. Uh, Or, or let's be, let's actually just be super duper specific. Let's get into the sort of the the number one sort of scare case uh, of anything. And that is this idea that sites will be blocked selectively based on their willingness to pay or or their political content or whatever it might be this idea that you know you can only get xyz sites from the internet unless the other sites are willing to pay the isp for their sites to go through so for example you maybe you, you can go on facebook but you can't go to strategicry because i didn't pay up mm. for strategicry to be served yeah, and, so- and, and and who thinks i mean quite obviously i would not think that would be a good outcome Yeah, I mean that would be
1: pretty horrendous. And to be fair, in your article, you were you were pretty explicit in stating that. um, uh, But I think people were reacting to
0: other things. (laughs) Well, it's worth stating again, and this is a. It's almost I almost have to applaud the (laughs) the the issue here because when you frame it as net neutrality, it's very easy to presume the question is: Do you want a neutral net or do you not? And of course, of course, I want. Of course, I want a neutral net. This is it's such a
1: it's such a good point. Like the. The framing of, of topics so often ends up having a massive impact on the nature of the debate. And when you, when you. Position it as, uh, neutrality. How, how can you be? It's, it's very hard to make an argument against net neutrality. And it's, it's, this is such a core part of any political debate successfully framing the argument. And I think, I think Tim Wu, uh, first coined this term, uh, back in the mid 2000s. And it is a fantastic framing for making sure that your point is the one that ends up getting up because it's 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 when
0: you position it in this way it is so hard to be against it. it, it that's exactly it because the question here at least the question in my mind is not should we have net neutrality it's sh- how do we achieve it? How do we ensure mm. that content is treated equally over time and not just how do we ensure that content is treated equally over time or at least not blocked. We'll get into the distinction in a moment. But also, how do you balance that with the other trade-offs that go into delivering internet service? First and foremost, which is we want more and more people to get faster and faster internet. And, and it's not like, you know, once you have water service, you have water service. Like broadband, if we were stuck with the broadband we had in the late 90s, no one would be happy right now and the economy would be in terrible shape because why did the dot-com bubble happen? It happened because the, there just wasn't enough internet. All those ideas, there's, those are all companies today. The ideas were fine. The problem was the internet wasn't ready yet. We needed a massive, massive build-out of of infrastructure and continue upgrading of that infrastructure, and that has to be a piece of the thinking that goes into this. I love that Mark Andreessen tweet that you
1: quoted in the article, but it's it's I mean it's famous independently, which is there's a big difference in terms of water services or sewage services and internet services, which is we don't crap ten times as much every every x many years. Uh, I think I might be I
0: think, playing down yeah, this language I, I, a little I think bit. You might have, you might have made that family safe,
1: which our podcast yeah. listeners appreciate. It's absolutely the case that the internet usage is absolutely exploding. That makes this
0: case somewhat different from traditional infrastructure. That's a critical part of the conversation. We are all pro-neutrality. I mean, I am not going to speak for anyone else. You and I are absolutely pro-neutrality. But we're also pro-investment, pro-broadband getting better and faster, not just because we want better, faster internet, but because that's directly correlated to economic growth. And it has been for the last 20 years.
1: Right. You'll get no argument from me. Like, that's what this podcast has been about how important the internet, uh, the the impact the internet is having on society. And without the pipes going into people's homes, accommodating everything that's like the growth in traffic, then there is no internet. So, yes, critical. uh, No argument. Again, it's just a question of how. Before we get into it, I actually think that there's, uh, I mean, I think there are a couple of things we need to cover. One of them is the history of how the internet's been regulated. And I, it's, it's a little dry, but I think it's critical to be able to, to properly talk about this point. But there's also a, there's also a point around the type of regulation. And I think this is critical context to be able to have an intelligent
0: conversation about this topic. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cause that, like, really what I was writing about was not is net neutrality good or bad? It was whether regulating the internet under Title II was good or bad. And and that sounds so arcane, and that's in part because it is arcane because it goes back to the early 20th century where – the dom what was dominant was ATT and phone service and T was the one of the all-time great monopolies because they they had like a double dip on monopoly so they had a sort of natural monopoly which is the idea where they've the massive upfront fixed cost investment where you know way, putting up phone poles and and, and, and getting right away and, and phone wire wiring up ho- houses all that sort of stuff it's so expensive that what happens is once it's there the marginal cost is nearly zero if a challenger comes along the incumbent can just lower the price to basically zero bankrupt the Challenger and then jack the prices back up. That's why we've always regulated these sorts of things. To go back to Mark Andreessen's example, sewage falls in that. Uh, Electricity falls in that. All, All these sorts of natural, high fixed cost utilities We've always regulated because they lead inevitably to sort of market failure, and and AT&T was an extra special case because they also had the network effect, which was the more people that used their service, the more valuable that service was. And so they were this, this dominant, dominant monopoly, and that's why this act came along to regulate them. And it
1: it recognized, I mean, there are fundamentally two types of regulation, or it's possible to divide regulation up into two types. And the type that AT&T was categorized under was, was probably a little different from the types of many other types of regulation that folks are, are used to, right? Well, the act itself had,
0: had two divisions. So there's Title I and Title II. So Title I... One- What the idea was information services. I think it used to be called something else. The name was changed in 1993, but now it's called information services. And this was things that were regulated ex parte, which means after the fact. So if you do something wrong, you're going to get in trouble. But it's presumed that you're doing things fine most of the time. And that regulation happens with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which is like, you know, whether it be false advertising or misrepresenting your products or privacy violations, which is certainly, you know, like Facebook's under consent degree with the FTC for, for privacy violations as an example. Title II, on the other hand, we've mentioned Title Two several times, this is ex-ante regulation. Ex-ante means before the fact. It sort of presumes wrongdoing. It presumes market failure. It presumes a monopoly Acting like a monopoly would, which would be to only serve profitable customers, charge higher prices than would be optimal, uh, which limited, you know, causes deadweight loss, all these sorts of things. And it's there because it has to sort of make the market work correctly because the market won't work correctly on its own.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm just trying to think of an example to ground this for people in a, in a different industry. And the one that's immediately coming to mind is financial services. So it's subject to both ex ante and ex parte regulation, but the ex ante regulation would be. Uh, uh, for example, capital control. So to prevent uh, a run on a bank bringing down the entire financial system, you have the government imposing upon financial institutions that the bank keeps a certain amount of capital on hand to be able to pay people out if they walk into the bank and want money. Whereas ex parte regulation would be as you'd expect. You do something, you you break some rule that uh, you, you shouldn't be breaking and there is a fine levied on you as a result of Or that. you go to
0: jail, right? At least yeah, one right. would hope the, the evidence is questionable on that, on that mark, unfortunately. But, <laughs> but, but no, but I actually think it's a good point. You mentioned the system coming down. That's why ex ante regulation is absolutely appropriate in the financial sector, and arguably there should be more of it. You, because what happens is you, if there's a situation where the costs of wrongdoing are catastrophic, then it is mm. worth the... It's worth all the sort of false positives, right? Because there's an, where you, yeah, there's a lot of compliance costs. You have to always make sure you're doing stuff right. And that's really expensive. And Wall Street hates it in the lobby against it. But it's necessary because what happens if things go wrong? If things go wrong, you get 2008 that is that's not in society's interest broadly and that's a great it's such a great example because that's exactly where ex ante before the fact regulation is appropriate and where not having sufficient amounts was really costly
1: right which i mean i guess brings us to the question of how have these two different types of regulation been applied to the communication sector in the
0: us so because at&t was this dominant monopoly and and it was it, the us deemed it it was appropriate that we wanted to get telephone service everywhere for example right and we we wanted to have reasonable rates and all these sort of things so they uh, they created this massive regulatory framework Called, which was Title II of the Communications Act, that was meant to govern AT and T. That could price controls, included like build out mandates. There was, if AT and T wanted to make significant changes to their service, they had to get permission from the, from, from the FCC to go, to go back to them. So that's all background for the internet kind of coming along, you know, in, in the '90s. And remember, phone service was covered under Title II, and that was a that was a really good thing because what happened was ISPs. It it, it didn't have to be your local phone company providing internet service. Anyone could provide phone service. AOL or Prodigy and all those services could provide – could provide service and those services themselves could be walled gardens, could be, you know, not not neutral at all. But the access was there and, and you and you had a choice. And what's interesting is by the way, you know, the the sort of closed nature of AOL and it arguably helped a lot of people get online. But a lot of people getting online predicated tons more services and, and apps coming online such that people quickly you know it didn't take that long. For people to break beyond that, and they wanted more than that, and lots of other ISPs came along that offered just just internet access for five bucks a month, ten bucks a month. It was you know, it was all, all dial up, but it was you know, there was a lot of competition in the space. I mean, it's
1: interesting you characterized it as closed or well garden i'd actually say it's integrated versus modular and uh, an integrated solution right at the start when people don't know how to use it and don't know where to search for things there's no google that's actually a pretty good approach but once they start figuring it out and once people figure out where the dependencies lie and you can kind of sort things out that's when a modular approach starts to work
0: pretty oh well. it's a great example I mean, the internet is arguably like the all-time great example of modularity dominating right i mean there's there's an infinite number of websites, all of which are independently and, and not connected to each other, and by virtue of standards and you know being a common way to access them, we have this cornucopia of information and services and all these sorts of things. It's a it's a wonderful outcome, and it's an outcome that has you know that's driven that's that's driven our economy for the last the last you know twenty years. Yeah, uh, until the social networks come along on
1: top of it <laughs> and start to uh, right. integrate things, but that's another topic. It, is,
0: it was kind of like as you move up the stack, like to move up, like more integration comes back in. And I guess kind of the mm. question is: Is there going to be a modular sort of breakthrough on top of that, in which we are both very worried about? But now we're now we're getting wildly wildly sort of off off pace, as it were. Right. So back to the nineties. <laughs> so you had this title two regulation of the phone lines, and anyone come and do an ISP on top of it. Now the problem, of course, was. I, you know, dial up sucked. <laughs> you know, the, the, you occupied the phone line and it was really slow. And what's so interesting, if you think about the dot com bubble, you had all these companies, and people have observed that all the ideas of that time are all companies today. But what's different? What's different mm. is we have the internet is way faster. And we have wire, we have mobile, so it's available everywhere. And in that's actually a really, really important point to keep in mind that this explosion and the benefits that we've gained from the internet go hand in hand with the build out and growth of access and speed to to access those services.
1: Yeah, the the ubiquity but also the volumes as uh, Mark Andreessen would say right. have increased pretty dramatically.
0: You no, know, and it's a killer example of why this debate has to incorporate sort of the, the build out because the the build out we've already seen we have 20 years of evidence that that is a critical component of all this stuff working and having a positive impact on society broadly. Mm, okay. So well so the but the regulation piece again Sorry to get so much into the details but I think it's important for this to keep in mind. So what was better than dial up? There was really two options. One was DSL, which was using kind of the high frequency w- ranges of the phone line such that you could have internet service and you could also talk on the phone and that internet service was was, was much faster and it was always on and all the sort of benefits we associate with broadband. And the other one was cable. Which uh, cable there's a whole the whole history of cable and, and the FCC is actually also very interesting what we won't get into it here. Uh, we're actually recording this a second time. So we spent way too, too much time on that the first time around. <laughs> but but the, the point is, most houses had two wires. The One wire was a cable wire. The other wire was a telephone wire. And the key thing to keep in mind is the telephone wire was regulated under Title II. The cable wire was not. The cable has never been regulated as far as internet access goes. It, it's been sort of like an, an open, it's been an open, whatever you want to call it, all along. Whereas DSL was was. Regulated. So even when DSL came along, the phone companies had to offer access to their lines for other DSL ISPs. That was until about 2003. And then they no longer – then after that, they, the FCC changed the rules so they could charge, quote-unquote, market rates instead of charging, like, basically zero rates, which was before. And then in 2005, the DSL phone-based internet service was shifted to Title One, just like – Cable was. So regulations basically most – it shifted to ex parte regulations away from ex ante regulations for DSL. So the, the net of it is since Cable has always been Title I, DSL, which now is mostly Fios, Fiber Service, and, and Cable is also Fiber too. So it, it gets a little confusing. But Cable has always been Title I. The phone was Title II, then it was a, a sort of weaker form of Title II, and then since 2005, they've both been Title I, and that brought us to 2015 when the FCC reclassified all of them, including wireless service, all internet access, reclassified it away from Title I to Title II, two. Title II, two, that, that old AT&T ex-ante regulation a, away from the Title I ex-parte regulation. Sorry, that was really and confusing. Was that makes sense. <laughs> No it did and this
1: was driven by the desire to impose net neutrality on all the informa- on all the ISPs whether they be cable uh telephone or uh, cellular and it wasn't possible under the ex parte title 1 regulation uh, but it is possible under title II ex ante regulation right. And
0: right the FCC tried to impose that previously and then Verizon sued uh, and it was supported by a lot of other I- ISPs, and the and the federal courts ruled that the FCC did not have the authority to impose that sort of regulation, and and so the reason the FCC switched to Title II was so that they could impose impose these regulations. So that that was that that's sort of the context around this. Interesting. So
1: there was a one of the Verizon was under the uh, the the quote unquote easy regulation, but didn't like the net neutrality, sued the FCC. And effectively force the FCC's hand into reclassifying them as Title II.
0: Yes, that's that. That is a that, that that's a legitimate way to to characterize it. So the, the, that leads to a natural question: is well, quite obviously, they're opposed to this classification as, as Title II because they want to violate net neutrality, right? I mean, I was kind of heading. There. <laughs> well, that's why it's useful to. To separate the net neutrality point from the Title II debate, because there's a couple issues to unpack here. Okay, so we're going to get to that point specifically. So, so, so bear with us here. There's, but there's still the fact that this Title II classification is very costly we kind of mentioned it before in the discussion of ex-ante versus ex-parte. Ex-ante regulation is much costlier because it's there's sort of an ongoing presumption that you're not doing it right. And you have to continually, you have to have a whole compliance effort. You have to continually show that you're following the rules. If you want to make any changes, you have to ask for permission. We talked about this in the context of AT&T. It's much more problematic with internet service because stuff's changing all the time. Like new technologies come along that, that, that scarf up way more data than used before or changes come along. And yes, there's a carve out in that 2015 order for network management, reasonable network management, the presumption is you have to keep it the way it is. And if you want to make it different, you need to get permission to make it different. And that's very different than a sort of Title I regime where you can make changes and it's only if you make changes that are bad that violate whatever regulations there may be, which do exist and is governed by the FTC, that you will be getting trouble for that. So this whole before and after point is really critical And remembering that the before point imposes significant costs. These
1: regulations were designed effectively to govern a monopoly, but so are they imposing all these Title II regulations across all the ISPs or are they selectively picking the net neutrality ones?
0: It's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. They, They are not... Enforcing all of Title II regulations. There's a whole huge section of the, of the internet order in 2015 that says we're not going to enforce all these sort of aspects, including things like price controls, for example, or, or content controls or, or various things that the FCC under Title II does have the power to do. They're like, we're not going to do these things. We're only going to do the, the, the these other things. So, so it's not like they're under all the regulations. What is still the case though is it's still ex ante. There is and there is a significant compliance burden that goes with this, which is probably okay for like Verizon and Comcast. They have huge legal departments, and and you know Verizon has phone service. They're already dealing with this sort of stuff. But when you're dealing with like a small scale ISPs like where I grew up in, in Wisconsin, where you know they're not well served by by the big guys but there's there's smaller competitors it's it is a significant cost in lawyers and compliance efforts and all these sorts of things to to demonstrate one that you are abiding by the regulations and two to get permission for changes that may be reasonable but by virtue of the sort of regulation being prescriptive you have to sort of get permission to make changes if that makes sense it
1: doesn't sound very friendly if i was thinking about setting up an isp having to comply with it are you are there examples of these smaller isps
0: complaining about the burden imposed upon them oh yeah widespread i mean there there's there's some of the biggest voices complaining about this sort of this sort of imposition which you, which makes sense i mean it's sort of a a truism that regulation the big companies will complain about it but they're fine they can handle it it's the it's the sort of smaller guys that have a much more difficult time dealing with dealing with regulatory regimes well i i guess this is driving at why they
1: would be opposed then it's the it's the burden of of having to deal with of of this ex-ante assumed you're guilty until proven innocent type regulation. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And it's something we've talked about, you know, over multiple Mm. episodes, this idea that, yeah, regulation can make a lot of sense, but you have to think about what sort of things in the future are not going to happen because there's this this big new cost associated with that activity. And, you know, that was kind of a point I tried to put here, like, generally with regulation, it's very clear that you're getting this sort of benefit and the risk is there's sort of a future, or you, there's a future cost that you're not aware of, like an opportunity cost. I guess the, the, what kind of occurred to me in this debate is you talk about the, the what's the benefit here of this regulation, of shifting to Title II and imposing these net neutrality regulations. The benefit is also sort of theoretical. It's like the ISPs might do this, they might make Shatekary sure pay. To reach its customers, and there just isn't any evidence of that happening, both in in the telephone service DSL and then FiOS that was originally Title Two and then Title One, but also w- with cable, which which was has always been relatively unregulated. There are a few isolated incidents that absolutely happened. Including the most famous one was a company banning uh, voiceover IP because they wanted to prop up their own their own their own service, and they were busted. They had to pay a relatively small fine and then signed a consent decree saying they wouldn't do it again. And no one has tried the ex parte regulation. Worked. The bad activity did not continue. Got it. I, I, though I, my suspicion
1: is that they're not the, this, <laughs> they're not the only reason they're opposed to this regulation is not just from the regulatory perspective. And to be fair, I, I, I agree with you. This is something we've talked about. It's come up a number of times recently about how you don't see the costs that you're imposing. But there is another element to this, which is the ISPs are interested in prioritizing traffic. And I think they see a, a stream of revenue from
0: being able to do that. Right no that's exactly right that gets at the Verizon I think angle in particular where they want so the net neutrality regulations have a, it's no blocking that's the one that everyone sort of focused on and quite clearly I and everyone I think supports like you shouldn't be able to block websites because they refuse to pay to play for example mm-hmm. and, and and no throttling uh, which gets into another another issue which was Comcast with BitTorrent and Comcast claimed mm. they were throttling traffic to manage their, their their networks and the FCC's you know said they, they were not doing, you know, there was a that was also a lawsuit. That one's a little more complicated because, like BitTorrent, like it took took up a ton of traffic, so that you could understand where Comcast was coming from. What actually happened? There was ended up Comcast implemented a a technological solution and then stopped doing it. And then there's kind of a well, why they do it is it because the FCC they were getting in trouble for regulatory reasons, or because they actually had a genuine network issue and they had to deal with it. Should they have invested more earlier? It, it is a valid question, but the you know I kind of look back and guess what it was solved. It was taken care of. And you go back to the financial services sector was whatever did happen with BitTorrent. Looking back that whoever was behaving badly, it one, it was solved. It wasn't an issue. And two, did it bring down the entire like the entire internet? Did it bring down like the financial sector crashing would bring down the entire internet? Like and this is sort of the trade-off when you think about types of regulation. If you do mm-hmm. if you do ex ante, you're by definition Imposing a lot of costs, but that's worth it if the outcome is truly disastrous. If the outcome is not necessarily truly disastrous and it can be fixed after the fact, then it's often better to go sort of in the in the other direction. So it's it's this is this is basically the
1: thesis of the argument that you made, and I I think um, to be to be honest, like it clicked a lot more for me with this ex ante and ex post and deciding. Which regulation is more appropriate? Like, uh, and in this conversation, it's, it's crystallized for me. Like you want to be doing ex ante regulation when the, when the, or your, your argument would be and regulators should be doing ex ante when the consequences are so disastrous that it can't be resolved versus ex post, which is like the threat of coming along and, uh, doing this will prevent People for, prevent organizations from acting in a bad way. And the consequences aren't so bad that it's catastrophic and you can't undo it if, if, if a bad actor decides to go down this path anyway.
0: Yeah, that, 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 that's exactly right. That's by far the sort of the core of my argument. I would prefer ex parte regulation in this case. And we'll get more into the reasons why it goes back to that broadband sort of build out question. But the other point, and I think you just asked this and I sort of skipped around it is, didn't Verizon and the other ISPs want to charge more for prioritizing traffic, which is which is one of the things that's banned in neutrality. and that's exactly right. And and in this case, there is no sort of like that's what they want to do. They want to be able to charge companies more to have sort of like guaranteed delivery service. And 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 you know, in general, it, it's never been the case that there's not like a first in first out system for bits on the network. There's always mm. been a degree of network management like the way the internet mm-hmm. works is not like it's not like water flowing i mean it is in a broad sort of big picture sense but there's a lot of like technical details that get into managing traffic but they what they want to do is they want to build like quote-unquote fast lanes where if you go through it's guaranteed you're going to get through their network as fast as possible like you're being limited by the speed of light and and nothing else and they absolutely want to offer that and they want to charge a lot of money for it and make and make more money it's it's absolutely true I mean,
1: this feels like a pretty good segue into making the point that that could be a pretty bad thing, right? Like you have fast lanes, inevitably you have slow lanes too, right?
0: Well, <laughs> it depends how you define it. <laughs> it. It depends as so many things. I've made this big thing about the 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 ex parte ex ante. This is a legitimate part of this question and absolutely motivates. The ISPs to push against this. It's not just the regulatory angle. It's also they want to charge this. And yeah, there is a very strong argument to be made that I I have made previously. In fact, that you know you do this, and it's like, well, Google can pay to be faster, and Netflix can be pay pay to be faster. Mm. And how can a startup come along and challenge them when they're just stuck with the with with the normal internet? And again, again, to be super clear, I'm drawing a line between actively blocking sites. Versus letting some sites be faster. It's a sliding scale, though, right?
1: Like you think about what happens, and I, I'm I'm reaching for one example, and I uh, and I'm which is with Netflix and interconnects like it's uh if you are not being prioritized it could be that the service degrades so much that effectively you become unwatchable and that's something that's happened to even a big player like Netflix in the absence of these net neutrality laws
0: well that's a great point and people brought up uh, as an objection the issue the sort of standoff between Netflix and and Comcast and level three which was was delivering Netflix content uh back in 2014 I wrote about that Mm -hmm. time and and it's a complicated issue, but there's a meta point to make about it. That issue actually had nothing to do with this debate. This debate is only about sort of uh, service to the home, the the, the last mile provision. And the, the meta point to make is one of the challenges with ex ante regulation by virtue of being prescriptive. Is you're you're in some sense you it, it presumes you can anticipate all the issues that come up, and so you had this this separate issue that was about interconnects and, and and that actually wasn't governed at all. So people bring it up. Oh we'll, well, look at what Congress did with Netflix. It doesn't matter because that wasn't a part of the Title II reclassification debate. You know, and, and the point is not to lit, lit, litigate that that particular issue. Mm-hmm. I wrote about it, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But the point is to to sort of show off that this issue there's so many issues that go into this question and to try to regulate them all ahead of time mm. is really really hard yeah totally that actually there's there's another example of this of this of this idea where you know, net neutrality is actually much more limited than I think people appreciate where it didn't it didn't apply to that Netflix situation. It also doesn't apply to something called zero rating. Zero rating is is mm. where you can uh, deliver a service and it's exempted from, you don't have to pay for the data that, that, that comes along. And this is something that I've always been, uh, to my mind, this is actually even more damaging for startups. If you think about like music, for example, right? If you can listen to Apple Music for free and it doesn't impact your data plan, but you have to pay for Spotify or you get both of them for free and there's another one that comes along and, and you have to pay for it. Like that's a, to my mind, that's even more than maybe Apple Music is slightly faster. Like money is actually one of the biggest ways to control consumer behavior we've talked about the like messaging right why why did whatsapp sweep the world because now messaging was free and it used to be sms cost money like that is a massive way to drive huge adoption so to my mind zero rating is hugely problematic when it comes to spurring innovation and and startups being able to compete effectively with incumbents but here's the kicker zero rating is not covered by net neutrality And, and, and the point is it gets at why prescriptive regulations for this stuff is is so difficult to get right that's interesting because i thought zero rating
1: had been covered under net neutrality and there were actually examples where the fcc had gone after at&t and verizon in 2016 for
0: um for doing zero rating They did, but, but, so the example that I mentioned in the article was T-Mobile. So one of the things that T-Mobile did was they did, they did all all these sorts of things to, to sort of, they were in fourth place. They unbundled like the phone and, and the contracts. They, where you could get a financing for your phone, but it wasn't like a subsidy. Mm, So you're, mm -hmm. they dramatically brought down contract prices. They, uh, they also did like zero rating where you could get music first. I think music was the first one you could, it went counting into your data and then they did it for video later. They also, as part of the deal, they they reduced the resolution of the video. So there, there was definitely trade-offs involved. But the uh, what ATT and Verizon did was they attempted to favor their own services. So DirecTV, for example, would not count against your data cap. And for Verizon it was their go 90 service not counting as the cap. And they those two did get in trouble because they were favoring their own service. It was it was more of a I don't know if it was explicitly antitrust, but it was much more in that vein where you it's playing the game unfairly. As opposed to T Mobile, they were making deals with people on the outside saying, "Oh, you, you, you can you can be a part of our of our zero rating," and mm. and, and so that was the distinction. So Verizon, AT and T did get in trouble but more in like an ex parte no you can't do that that's favoring your own service almost like Vonage back in the day whereas t-mobile they did the sort of pay to play deal that everyone is worried about and that was not covered that was not that was not forbidden under including post 2015 these these changes that have happened got it okay and and
1: i'm assuming there's no way that the fcc i mean it sounds like they were interested enough in zero rating but only in the context of if you're favoring uh, your own service, they can't suddenly expand that to zero rating more broadly. Because I'm with you. I think this is a—it's another way of like circumventing net neutrality, and it's a way that favors big players. The music service or the video services that you just described are great examples. I, I don't think it's a good thing. But the FCC can't go after zero rating under at all right now under
0: the current Title II regulations. That's correct. And I have to say, though, when T-Mobile did this, I wrote that this is a very bad thing. And I made the point that... You know the focusing on this very very narrow definition of, of net neutrality is problematic because there's actual other behavior that is philosophically the same, but because it's not technically the same, it's not covered by regulations. It's kind of making this point that mm. to pre-write regulations, you're you're going to miss like one yeah. of the advantages of ex party regulation is you have more of a wait and see sort of approach, so you can you know nip stuff in the bud when it, when it happens. If you try to regulate ahead of time. You have to anticipate everything that might happen, and it's just—it's just hard to do. No uh, one's that smart, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, especially when it's evolving as quickly as it is. Uh, I do have to say though, I wrote when the T Mobile thing went down, I said this is a terrible thing. It's bad for innovation, bad for startups, and from the, the lens that we're taking and most people are taking about this, it, it's absolutely right. But if you back up and you think about the impact of. That T-Mobile has had. It's not all because of zero rating. It's because of a lot of the other innovations that yeah. they've done. But mm-hmm. they have completely upset the mobile market. They, first off, they've stormed from a distant fourth to a very strong third. I mean, they're still way behind AT&T and Verizon, but they're they're killing Sprint at this point. And not only that, they've forced everyone to respond. The reason we don't have the subsidy contract system for phones anymore is because of T-Mobile. The, because they they started stealing so many customers from these other guys. And, and so they, they that's better for customers. They've forced AT&T and to go back to unlimited data to to, again there's a after like 22 gigabytes there's more but but (laughs) but but even that they're offering 22 gigabytes effectively free when when the unlimited quote unquote unlimited data came out people were holding on for ages with their with their iphones it was like two gigabytes or four gigabytes or something so the, the the impact on the market of this this in isolation we you look at it and say the zero rating is bad. When you wrap that in the context of the wireless market in the U.S. generally, the wireless market in the U.S. is in much much better shape than it was before T-Mobile started doing all this stuff.
1: I would agree with that. I would I would emphasize the point that you made about there were a number of other innovations that took place. But I think uh, that 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 they did. But I I think that this point captures part of my. Frustration with some of the, with with the the notion of ex ante and ex post. And like, I want to pull back into a couple of meta points, if you'll forgive me. Like, one of them is the reason that actually worked pretty well was because there was competition that was taking place. And if there's competition, ex parte regulation makes lots of sense. But the problem is, from a local uh, fixed wired line ISP perspective in the United States, There's not a lot of competition. Most people are lucky to have two, many only have one option and if you think about why that ex ante regulation was introduced in the first place it was introduced because there was a monopoly provider that that would that would abuse their market position and that's what i guess i would be concerned about when you think about fixed line internet and why it might actually continue to make sense to regulate at least part of this market in the uh,
0: under title to regulation i, I ab- absolutely i i could i agree with you like i agree that that is a concern i would just there's a couple of points that i would that That I would push back in the other direction. So mm. one is, I just mentioned that wireless now lets you have twenty two gigabytes unlimited. Now, relative to if you're watching Netflix all the time, that's that's still nothing, right? But relative to any time in recent history, or, or in all of history, wireless is more and more of an alternative to wire than it, than it ever has been. I'm not saying it's it's an end all be all, but it's worth noting that the relative competitive state. And and if you if you again back away from the U S. sort of averages, U S. is so hard because it's so spread out and so broad, and you have just a terrible internet situation in in, in small towns and mm-hmm. rural areas, and even some suburban areas. And in the cities, it's much more competitive. Like there there is there's FiOS, there's there's cable, there's there's often other other ISPs and there's, there's there's many more options, and you see that reflected in pricing and capabilities. It makes your point. more competition clearly leads to a better situation. Mm. But the implication is there actually is a it's not a complete like it's not there's not a complete death of of competition as it were. That said, let, let me make very clear. I grant the point. I actually didn't really push the the market's gonna fix this. In this article, because I think it's a little disingenuous for the reasons you just stated it, the for the same reasons that title is imposed in the first place, the natural monopoly idea in particular and massive regulatory capture by ISPs of local governments yeah. where, you know, even like if, even if you want to run your own lines, there's no like fair system to pay to Rent spots on poles like the poles already up, you just want to add another wire. And and the, the ISPs had inclusion with local governments, have jacked up the prices so you can't even compete with it. And they've passed laws in 25 states that cities can't build their own broadband networks, which is it, it's te- it's 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 absurd. It's ab- it's absurd. And it, it one it makes the point about that there is market failure here, but two it's a reminder. That regulatory capture is a real problem, and and we should wade carefully before we add on add on more potential for it. Well,
1: it's interesting because like this leads into another meta point that I wanted to make, which is one of the arguments that we've often made against introducing regulation like this is it tends to favor big incumbents at the expense of the little guys, and that's exactly what we just described as happening here. But there's a, there's almost an opposite thing happening here with which is the, these ISPs are clearly very good at uh, regulatory capture and, and acting in their own best interests. The, the way that these big ISPs are fighting this regulation suggests that it's it's not necessarily a cut and dried example of this regulation that just favors the big guys at the expense of the little guys. There's something that the big guys in, uh, are seeing in this that they really want to get rid of it.
0: I would say two points to that. One, I've gotten this question before, like the, like the European privacy regulations, for example, which I've said will entrench Google and Facebook. I'd Be like, well, then why are Google and Facebook fighting it? They're fighting it because it's expensive. They don't want to have to pay. For, they don't to have to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. But it's going to damage smaller players much more than yeah, the big I players. Can. So the big players will grumble all the way to the bank and write the check to to deal with it. But they're not like endangered, and and the ISPs aren't endangered in this case either. It's but that doesn't change the fact. They'd rather not have to deal with it, and rather to have to pay all the costs with it. So that that's that's point one. Point two gets at the the paid prioritization issue, which we we've mentioned a couple times, and I think this drove like the Verizon lawsuit originally, and it, why they wanted to ban this. And this is where I kind of go back to the the T Mobile thing, and the T Mobile thing has really made me think because I was I, I think. Zero rating is a big problem for competition for mm. edge providers. But at the end of the day, I can also appreciate that zero rating may not have been the core component of it, but it was certainly a piece of T-Mobile shaking up the mobile market in a way that has been a positive outcome. And in the case – and that made me think more about paid prioritization. Yeah. Like it's very easy on paid prioritization and like, oh, well, what if Google's faster, can a competitor arise? Well, for all the reasons I don't think so uh, that have nothing to do with Google being fast. But but you think about paperization, like what what are the it turned out for Zero Rating that there was actually a good outcome that I didn't anticipate. I, I didn't appreciate. Again, you could argue whether the trade-off was yeah. worth it because there is a problem, but you have to at least acknowledge that there that's some good came out of zero rating in the context of T Mobile shaking up the wireless. I
1: mean market. totally. Or, or or perhaps I would frame it as there was a bundle that T Mobile bought to market of of many things some of which might be good some of which might be bad and whether you put the uh, like on, on in aggregate what T-Mobile has done has has definitely been good how much of that is related to or caused by the zero rating i think that's a question that reasonable people can
0: debate right but the point is for me just reflecting on my previous position mm-hmm. i feel like i was a little too absolute in the past because i was so focused on the sort of startup context that i'm like zero rating is absolutely wrong and now i'm like well you know maybe not but it's a reflection of of how it's very easy looking forward to think you know everything and then something actually happens that you didn't expect. You're like, oh well maybe I maybe I was a little too absolutist. Mm. Again, maybe I was right, but I'm I'm just a little more uncertain about it than I was before. And I I'm sort of applied that thinking to this paid prioritization idea where I am sort of like you instinctually suspicious of this and this is gonna mm. just entrench the big internet companies. But on the flip side you know, what might happen if this service was available? Like what sort of new products, new innovations might come to market if they could have this sort of guaranteed low latency? Like could we have better... You know Video conferencing Could we have You know these Everyone The favorite example Is like medical Procedures over the internet Which may be fanciful But I mean This gets at the whole Issue of future costs You don't know What things won't happen If you ban them Ahead of time Yeah And I guess It makes me very hesitant To say We absolutely should not Have paid prioritization Because I don't know What good things Might happen If paid prioritization Comes about. I can imagine All the bad things The good things Are so much harder To imagine Yeah And I I would be
1: With you Except for the the state of competition like it doesn't surprise me that having competition and then taking a hands-off approach works better in mobile than it does in perhaps the fixed line part of the u.s because there's some there is it's not it's not a there's not a heap of competition but there is some and that's just not the case
0: in in the fixed line so you're right about market failure and and i'm i'm with you and i mean obviously all my writing is about structures and incentives and and all those all those sorts of things so all things being equal I absolutely would actually, and I previously have, even though I've kind of been mushy on the issue because I've appreciated the complexities, you know, in favor of, you know what, the incentives are in place. This this is a sort of natural monopoly. They have captured regulators, particularly on the local level, in a very problematic way. Like we need to – there's an incentive to act badly. We need to regulate this. I'm right there with you. That goes back to the point I made earlier in the podcast about – the necessity and benefit from investment and build out mm. this this idea that the internet that we enjoy today a necessary component of that was all the sort of build out that happened. And that build out that happened in a sort of unregulated state in an unregulated state that depending on your definition of violations, there's either less than five or like less than 10, like concrete violations of this that were all dealt with ex parte. And I'm just a little hesitant to say, okay, now's the time where we need to lay down prescriptive ahead of time regulation to prevent bad things that we think might happen. And I, I almost wonder, like, let's, maybe we should hold off. Maybe we should see if paid partization is actually a net positive or a net negative. Maybe we should hold off and see if these ISPs are systematically abusing their their position and, like, blocking traffic. Maybe we should hold off and see if wireless continues its rapid evolution over just the last few years such that it actually does become a, a meaningful alternative to 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 wired such that the market failure is in some sense ameliorated. And we can always impose Title II regulation later in all the things that go with it. Or even better, we could actually pass a law or update the communications act that does explicitly ban the blocking of sites. I would absolutely be in favor of that. I think neutrality is I think neutrality is absolutely critical to the internet functioning going forward. But given that the internet to date has been treated neutrally, it has grown, we have investment. Like do we need to change everything up now? When does it have to be now? Yeah, I mean it's
1: it's a reasonable question. And I, I think that gets at the heart of the nature of the disagreement, which is, I just think, and I think many people share this view that the ISPs are, are going to, if you take the reins off, the ISPs are going to behave in a way that is going to be counter to all these things that you just described around neutrality. They're going to take advantage of it. They're going to find ways to monetize it. They're going to, they've talked about, you know, uh, CEOs have talked about these companies are running over my pipes. They should be paying me for it. And whether they use it under the language of prioritization or something else, they will find ways of extracting rents. And this is, this is such a fundamental right. And if you leave it for a couple of years to see what happens, there are the couple of years where startups that require access to neutrality to be successful are not going to be able to be set up. And I, I guess that would be the concern of many of the people that, that would be pushing back against your argument
0: what about startups that can benefit from having superior access to customers because of paid prioritization? What about ones that, that actually would only work if they can have a sort of like guarantee super low latency approaches. And you can say, Oh, like, like what? And, And I would struggle to tell you which startups, but that's the nature of startups is you don't know what's going to work until, until, until it actually works. And again, I am absolutely, I would, I would be fully on board with a, something that blocks the the blocking. The blocking is without question a bad thing. And if that were to ever happen, it would be very problematic. When it has happened, it has been handled to date and you can like people kind of made fun of me for knowing this but it's true the media has been a massive watchdog on this as they should be every bad behavior is exposed and made into a massive issue and that's a good thing that's a great thing in, in, in like the police i guess my point is the police system has worked cable has never been regulated under title 2 and Outside of that Comcast BitTorrent issue, which, again, there's reasonable people can disagree about what was at stake there, but at the end of the day, it was resolved in a ultimate, like, customer-friendly manner. We haven't had issues of sites being extorted so, they can serve customers. It just hasn't happened. I'm, I'm still not
1: quite ready to take the other side. Like, I, being around here, I know that the impact that um, even half a second of a delay will have in terms of impact on revenue of a company. Like, if a site isn't loading within that amount of time, then I can, people just drop off. And I can, my, my inclination is not to believe the ISPs are going to leave everything as it is and just improve it for the people who decide to pay up. Things are going going to start to degrade, particularly where they think they're going to be able to extract more rents from these technology companies. And unless it, it's going to turn into extortion, it's uh, unless these companies pay up, the site will continue to be degraded. And once one company pays because it improves the performance and therefore you see the revenue numbers boost, all the other companies are going to have no choice but to do this as well. And I, I can't help but feel it's just going to turn into this big rent extraction from ISPs, which, around something that should just be a base level infrastructure, and it's much better without them looking into the traffic and figuring out whether figuring out whether they sh- they
0: could be able to charge more for it or not. Well, as, as as a point of reference, I mean, Google already has like a private backbone network; they connect directly into like the endpoints, the interchanges, mm. and, and so they will always have a speed advantage over someone challenging them. Netflix puts boxes inside. ISPs like your local Comcast office has a box from Netflix that has most of their content on there so that they have superior delivery speed and content. So the I mean, the end of the day of being an incumbent will always have its advantage. Mm-hmm. Should this be one of them? It's a fair question. But the, the the other the other the other question is is what about companies that can only function by nature of their being paid prioritization? Now again, I, I'm not gonna go like I don't know this will be the case. And If we started to move to a situation where it was actively, clearly a problem, then let's do, let's regulate. But again, to go straight to Title II, which is the most sort of heavy-handed and not even designed for the system approach due to theoretical harm, I would, one, I would rather use Title II I would prefer legislation that specifically blocks the throttling or blocking of websites. I'm fully on board with that. I absolutely want to see that happen. I guess my concern is – that goes back to the beginning. That's not the issue at hand here. The issue at hand is should we use Title II for net neutrality? I'm pro-net neutrality. I'm just very concerned about, about Title II because – not just because of the cost but, but particularly the future costs. What are the future costs? Uh, like uh, I can see the future dangers – but what things are we blocking and banning that we're not sure we are? And oh, by the way, there's lots of bad stuff like zero rating, which is not blocked anyway. So what what are we doing here? Yeah, I, I, I mean,
1: I understand. Like, there's a there's a desire to get this right and do it through legislation. I just don't see that happening anytime soon. And I I, I think this is a a pretty good segue into the the larger point though, which is around how the the system as it's being designed like if you were starting from scratch and thinking about how to design a telecommunication system particularly the fixed line aspect of this you couldn't have figured out a worse way of designing it than what america's managed to pull off and it's frustrating and it's i guess it's not just there but it's like even in the instance of of what you just said which is I'm, I'm with you. Like it would be better to have this legislated and simultaneously, uh, uh, okay. If you want to pull back from Title II, something that was designed years and decades ago and replace it with something else, I think that's a fantastic thing to do. But that's not the package that's on the table. We, we remain in this land of, uh, of, uh, of horrible system design where Remove the FCC regulation, Title II regulation, and not replace it with anything. Like what you just described isn't on the table, and it's just so frustrating being in this debate, particularly as an outsider which believes in the value of government investment and an openness around things like polls. You don't want to have a hundred polls out someone's outside someone's house. Just put one in. Like the way this whole system's being designed is absolutely appalling, and it's such a big part of why we're in this mess right now.
0: I agree with you and and I believe this is the of of everything this is the strongest sort of challenge to my point of view and I and like believe me I'm arguing this point because I staked a position I'm going to argue it this is like a 51 49 question for me just to be I mean I think that's probably clear but it's absolutely like I could go either way and to me this is one of the most compelling things so I think there's a few angles to this one is I've argued for ex parte regulation and probably one of the most important ones that would be, would be antitrust enforcement where if a company is favoring its own service that's that's an antitrust violation the problem is that is a vertical antitrust, and that's largely been exhumed from U.S. sort of antitrust law over the last 20, 30 years, which we've kind of talked about, And which, by the way, this is why I'm I'm actually in favor of the Justice Department suing against the AT&T time-order breakup, because uh, my consistency, I think, on the importance and necessity of antitrust is consistent, and it goes back to stuff like this. We need solid antitrust enforcement, but you can come back to me and say, yeah, but we don't have solid antitrust enforcement. Mm-hmm. Then what? And and it's a it's a very fair point. But you can make the point in the opposite direction. I think the best solution for broadband would be – I think the government should build it out. like yeah. and It should be continually investing in it and making it faster and upgrading it. And then we should have local loop unbundling where multiple ISPs can totally. use the wires and they can – some of them can be neutral and some of them cannot be neutral and competition will take care of it. The problem is we have this – like we have – there's a party that will shut down the government over – like they don't want to pay for the – they don't want the national debt to cross a certain line or whatever it might be. Like we we have this dysfunctional sort of state of affairs where we're not – we have bridges crumbling and and tunnels and all this sort of stuff. And are we going to depend on government to build out broadband? Well, No. But if we don't depend on government to build up broadband, then we need incentives for the private sector to build up broadband. And that brings me back to the broadband point where we need incentives and maybe paid prioritization – is a good incentive to build out broadband, and so both sides of this debate are actually hindered by your meta point of the the ideal way to do it is so dysfunctional in, in the United States that we're we're stuck choosing between terrible options. I, I mean, I I think that's exactly right. Like we
1: shouldn't be having a debate around whether it's going to be possible for things to be blocked, and you think about. You think about whether a government should be investing in this. We've spent 130-something episodes expounding upon the importance that the Internet is going to have going forward. And you think about the reasons that the the, the highway network were created by the federal government and how that was a critical backbone of the growth of the U.S. That is going to be the Internet right now. And instead of taking a, a long-term, long-sighted view around, like, you don't want to build a 100 different roads, a 100 different tollways. You want it done once and you want it done well. Well, and you shouldn't be having these types of ridiculous debates around something that's so fundamental to an economy. It just blows my mind that we're having a debate around how we should be regulating something that's been given away into the hands of private
0: enterprise when it probably shouldn't be there in the first place. It's exactly right. And that's why we're reduced to this argument where I'm favoring, like, I think we need more investment in broadband. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're done. Like, if we were done, if we're like, this is as fast as it's ever going to be and we have everything we ever need, then regulate away. It doesn't really matter. Like, fine. You know what? Comcast can pay for their freaking lawyers. I don't really care. But it's because I think broadband investment is tied to Mm -hmm. innovation and the internet making a difference. So... I, it's choosing, like, people are like, how can you not see these problems? I see the problems. Yeah. My entire career is based on writing about incentives and structures. You don't think I can't see the incentive and structural problems with letting the ISPs run free reign? Of mm. course I can see it. But I can also see we have the same incentive and structural problems in building out faster and faster networking, which is critical mm-hmm. to the economy of the future. So the trade off is between do you want the shitty setup that drives investment in broadband or do you want this shitty setup that risks that but ensures we we're treating content fairly and appropriately like that's the trade-off it's not a black and white issue it's the choice between two horrific choices
1: yeah and it, it is a choice of two horrific choices and i uh, like, I think that's, uh, that boils it down. And I think that the reason people come out on one side, or on the other is just they, uh, well, I mean, speaking personally, like, I see the value, uh, in these small companies creating these new technologies that, uh, that have made such an impact on, on the world but your your counterpoint around you need a pipe that's appropriately sized in order to carry them is absolutely right and you you end up spinning round in circles around what's the best of two bad choices when it's, it's almost like the wrong question. Like, how do you, how do you solve this, t- this terrible dile- dilemma when really, like, the, the problem is further upstream. And because the decision's been made further upstream, you end up having
0: to make this horrible choice between two trade-offs further downstream. That's exactly right, and you're exactly right. This is such a problem with the U.S. We, for example, when it comes to regulating like hate speech or stuff like that, we, we end up it all gets pushed off onto private corporations because the government yeah. is super hands off, and they're like, "Oh, the U.S. is free speech, free speech." Yeah. But then you have this this culture on both sides of being super like policing what people can say and what they can't say. Why? Because we're not dealing with it as a society. It's all mm. happening sort of ad hoc. You see the same thing with like like work, right? People are are out of jobs, and automation's happening. and and offshoring, what happens? They start collecting Social Security Disability Insurance. Social Security Disability Insurance is basically our social... Welfare net, which is ridiculous. I mean, on the face of it, it's ridiculous. Like it's it was meant for a specific thing, but that's how the safety net works in America. The safety net in America is you collect Social Security, disability insurance, and you go to the emergency room and you get sick. Yeah, and, and it's so wasteful and it's it's terrible. And we're spending the money that we would spend regardless. We're just spending it in a far worse way than we yeah. than, than we might otherwise.
1: Yeah, I mean, you wait till someone's so sick there in the emergency room, it's going to be ten to a hundred times more expensive, and it's the same thing here you argue on the margins around broadband and which of these two horrible choices is worse and i, I again i totally see your point of view and i am confident having had this discussion with you you see the other point of view and it's so frustrating that like the question can't be elevated to really get at the root of the problem because right now it's not
0: yeah and i mean to be clear I saw the other point of view before I wrote this. Yeah, it it was clear. It was clear. It,
1: you said it explicitly. It's just people get people people get worked up around
0: it. I mean, well, I it, get worked up about this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's it's it, it is frustrating. It's frustr it's frustrating that. This issue is problematic for if you want to talk about structural reasons, like the very structure of the way we we do public infrastructure is just so utterly broken. So that's that's structural issue number one. But but then two, that this has become almost like a tribalistic sort of thing. Like my team says this, your team says that, and and we're gonna fight. To the, I mean, the <laughs> just the tenor of the debate around this it's so discouraging because if we can't even have a rational debate about this issue and be Mm. clear that there are actually are arguments for both sides right then if we can't have that about this this where we're already stuck in the mire and we're having to make two bad trade-offs or uh, trade-offs between two bad choices how can we we go up up upstream and actually fix the core issues that drive this it's incredibly discouraging
1: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, and, and and I mean, I I saw what happened on Twitter, and I I, I don't know after a hundred and something episodes, like I f- you are thoughtful and open minded, and you balance these things, and people just got reduced into like like <laughs> yeah, some of the tweets were pretty ridiculous. It's it and yeah, you, like how do we fix it when people just want each other to die literally because you're trying to present another side of an argument? It's nuts.
0: It's it's discouraging. I mean the one of the things that's that's so important to me, and we've talked about it again and again, is this idea that the world is fundamentally changing and mm. and there we can't go back. We have to go forward. Mm-hmm. And when you see debates like this degenerate in this way, and it really shakes your confidence that we can make it through, okay. And you know, you look back at the Industrial Revolution, and it took hundreds of years and tons of wars and killing Mm -hmm. lots of people before we finally settled down. And why? What's preventing us from doing the same thing now? If anything, it seems we're hurtling in that direction.
1: Yeah, and we're just talking about broadband.
0: (laughs) I know. Like that's the thing. Like it's. I mean, yes, it's really important. Yeah, free expression, all sorts. We're not saying it's not important, but relative to like the grand scheme of everything, it's a relatively esoteric policy issue. <laughs>
1: you know what I mean? There's there's no there's no need to in, uh, like invoke the wrath of God on people's heads over this stuff, or there shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, feel strongly about it, and it's great
0: people are engaged, but like it gets to a point where it becomes counterproductive. Well, it's a counterproductive not just because not only are we not going to solve this current situation of two bad trade-offs, we're not going to move to a better system where yeah, we didn't need to make right. these bad trade-offs in the first place. Yep. Exactly, you know what? All I want, all I want to come on this podcast. You don't have to agree with me, and I wrote this knowing a lot of people would not agree with me, and that's totally fine. I just hope that you will come. This one, I am going to be totally selfish and hope that more people than did give me the benefit of the doubt that I recognize all the issues and challenges uh, and, and the bad trade-offs that I am making in in staying in this position. That's a selfish request, but two, if I made you think and better articulate why you favor title two reclassification then that's great i'm that i'm actually happy i feel like i did my job if it made you think and you know what because at the end of the day when you think of the very big picture more people thinking and more people being thoughtful about this stuff that's like we got to start there that's like ground one yep ground zero yeah yeah (laughs) ones and zeros yeah Sounds good. All right. Our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent, as they now do every week. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent to get 15% off uh, your, your, whatever plan you choose. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.